0: Your water, do you want to do the water now?
1: Oh, yeah, so... Oh, that's a good idea. Matt, pass the water?
0: So I put them all there? Yeah. We can do it. A...
1: There we go. Mm. So... <laughs> that's a nice sound. I like that. Uh, I got one of those electric line bikes, uh, which is actual exercise, despite the uh, electrical support.
0: It's absolutely not exercise. You've got to go on a normal Boris bike and you've got to pedal all the way. Otherwise, it's not exercise.
2: I I find those bikes very scary uh, yeah. with very little control over what happens when I... <laughs> when you apply the power. Yeah. As soon as that pedal goes.
3: I love those bikes because whenever you visit a new city, that's the way to discover the city. That's there absolutely the way. Right? Electric or not electric,
0: though? That's the question.
3: Uh, electrical. It has to be electric. Yeah. Come
1: Hey, welcome to the studio. We're live and in real life. How lovely is that? It's very lovely. So, I'm Ian, editor in chief of Internet Retailing, and I'm sort of excited today because we have an embarrassment of riches despite having some talking topics, a sort of dive in the middle. So, let's try and be well behaved. Uh, intros first. Jamie, you go first.
0: I'm Jamie Merrick and I am at Salesforce and I'm delighted to be back in the studio.
2: Whee! <laughs> Kate Wamsley, I'm the co-founder of Turn Eco and we are a B2B re-commerce tech startup helping retailers enter the circular economy through trading.
1: Oh my God, that is every buzzword that we need to have <laughs> right now. And and dear listener, if you're Googling this as we talk, rather than looking at the extensive program notes, it's T-E-R-N, uh, as they're stalking you in real time. But our fourth guest,
3: hello. Hello, my name is Mats Nilsson. I'm the Managing Director of Polan and, and UK. And just say and that one I'm more time because it's so lovely. Polan or oh. Pyret or, or, or Pop. So Pop
1: for short. From now on, we'll call it Pop. Yes, but, please do. Um, before we go any further, just tell everyone a bit about Pop, because I've seen it, but others may not have done so.
3: Yes, yeah, so Polon Puret Pyret or Pop is a very famous uh, Swedish children's wear brand. It's been around since 1976. I grew up in the clothes myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got pictures of myself as a two-year-old wearing the famous stripes. And um, yeah, we've been in the UK for 15 years. And myself and my wife and uh, launched the brand uh, 15 years ago in the UK and Ireland. And uh, we're very proud of what we've achieved.
1: And so that achievement, uh, it's a Scandinavian brand. Mm. You launched it as a franchisee, is that right?
3: Correct. Master yeah. franchise.
1: And now you are Back in the mothership.
3: Yeah, part of the mothership. So uh, Sweden acquired us this year and uh, we're one big family acting and behaving as one brand.
1: Lovely. And I will let everyone adjust that for uh, their own experiences. (laughs) So we'll come back to that. But we've got a couple of topics we want to cover off. So the main one is the focus on circularity. So I think if there's a word of the year, it's either sustainability or circular or sus circular, circular attainability, whatever. You just made that up. Everybody is talking about it. And we all know there are two problems. One is, it's very difficult to make the first step because everyone's interested. They want to be perfect. But how do you make some progress somewhere? And then the other problem is, it covers so many parts of the business that you can make progress in one area and then you're criticized for not being brilliant and everything else. So I wanted today to look at how we can be a bit practical about it and how it fits into the everyday life of real trading and growing a brand. So they were my objectives, call me selfish. So let's kick off by, Kate, I want to start with you, put you on the spot and ask you to give us a thumbnail sketch of how you arrived at TURN via your retail experience and why you then TURN.
2: Uh, okay, so I have a background in digital and retail. I led a number of high street UK retailers in their uh, e-commerce endeavours. I enjoyed it. I love the shopping experience. I love solving customers' problems in that space, helping them find the products they want. And I've really, really enjoyed it over the years. But as time went on, I became more conscious of the impact that the industry was having on the environment, and I wasn't feeling great about it. I often felt that I was uh, selling product to people that they didn't really need. And I found myself in a position, um, 2019-ish, uh, where I was coming out of a contract, and I had an opportunity to just think about what I could do next and how I could uh, use my skills in a different way. Mm-hmm. And my now co-founder, Zoe Roswell, who worked with me at Topshop for a number of years, she was in a similar position. And we'd been talking a lot about how we could do something a little bit different and how it could be more meaningful. And we were also witnessing the rise of resale and re-commerce and thinking, oh, maybe this marketplace thing, that's something we could do. And again, when we first got into e-commerce, no one was doing that particularly well. And now looking at re-commerce, we thought no one's really doing that particularly well either, even though it's experiencing this explosive growth and it's really fantastic and really fun. You know, surely we could do it better. And as our knowledge and understanding of the space grew... We saw that really where the the bigger gap was, was around how can retailers and our peers, our colleagues, enter into this market and take over some of that resale opportunity themselves. It was something that we felt quite passionately that they would need to be able to do with the growth in the space, with the, um, uh, the demand from their own customer base, and recognizing that the current solutions that were out there were predominantly around outsourcing yes. um, product to... Well,
1: they're outsourcing and operational. So um, I think what, what fascinates me about the angle you've taken is bringing the activity back under the brand's control as part of the overall brand experience. So, you know, my kids, uh, I, I basically stopped buying them clothes because they have got everything off Depop. But you're dependent upon then the customers' Providing the stock into Depop for the other customers to buy, uh, and you know this move now towards the brands having more of a grip on it is a bit like when they move to the web or when they move to marketplaces. So I think your your analogy is absolutely uh, spot on. But w- when when you knock on a brand's door and say we think you should
2: incorporate this, what's the response? So I think for most brands still there is. Uh, a sense that it is too hard often Um, in the same way that doing anything new is hard, Mm -hmm. change is hard so uh, it's always easier to to do nothing and wait or try to find a way to outsource the problem Mm -hmm. to someone else and then occasionally you find a brand like Pop where um, they recognize that it's going to be hard but they also see just how important it is and then it's a really easy conversation And it becomes a, how do we take it from here?
1: Okay, so we'll get on to maths in a second. But for maybe the less enlightened, what is the phrase or the point you put to people that has unlocked a yes? So they're going, oh, can't be bothered, too hard. Maybe I'll wait a year and I'll copy my competitors, you know, second move advantage. Please go away, Kate. They say, no, 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 one more point. They go, yes, you've got me. Is there sort of an unlocking point that people go, like Bob on. we'll add it to our list?
2: I think the, the unlock is recognizing that they want to take ownership over the secondhand market and the sales and the customer experience and, um, and maintain that relationship with their customer. Mm. You know, we've seen that acquiring new customers has become increasingly uh, more difficult, more expensive. Uh, competition is fierce. Um, retaining customers is the primary goal. you know how do you increase frequency and, and ensure that your customers are staying with you for longer? How do you build that loyal relationship and actually build a, a relationship with your customer? Mm-hmm. And I think for the, the retailers that can see this as an opportunity to grow that relationship and also can see the potential profitability. In running a resale operation, those are the ones that are willing to open the door. So if you look at profitability,
1: if you jump to, say, fast fashion or hyper fast fashion, where if a product lasts for an unpacking one night or one wash, you know, you've had your money's worth, Uh, so that ultra-disposable end, and then you look at something like well-made children's wear, where they grow out of it before they wear it out and then you force all their siblings to wear it before you finally give it away. This seems to be a spectrum of so somewhere between disposability and product longevity as well as inbuilt reuse. So how applicable is the model, say, to the disposable side versus clothes like the John Lewis, they've got that new rent-your-children's-wear Approach now. So, is this something that we'll see with children's wear, or repeat high-quality things, or is it for everybody?
2: I think durability is the key factor, and the retailers that are going to win in this space are bringing durable product to market. And there is actually an opportunity to to run these programs in a way that helps you understand how to extend the longevity of your product. Mm. Um, you're going to get better. You know, it's the, um, it's the ultimate quality test on your product to see what actually happens to it in market and what state it comes back to you in. And perhaps you identify ways in which you can extend the life through repairs and through the materials that you use, but also thinking about how you care for that product or uh, communicating that to your customer base around how to extend the life of the product itself so that it retains the, the quality um, when you sold it, so I would say that for the the other end of the spectrum, um, it's not really suitable to disposable fashion or yeah. or products. And I should also clarify that the product that we've built, the Turn Trade In app, is for any any product that is non-perishable. So that could be, you know, glasses or jewelry or technology. Um, it could be. You know, toys, children's toys, as well as children mm. children's clothing. So it is uh, limitless in that respect.
1: So I want to come back to the practicalities because everyone's already thinking, I know, uh, how do you verify? How do you classify? You know, so I want to hold that thought. We will come back to that towards the end. Let, let's maybe just turn to Matt's now and just say it'd be good to know a little bit more about the brand mm. and its positioning and then maybe segue into. Did you call Kate? Did Kate call you? Was it some happy resonance in the stars? So let's, let's start off with the product first and pick up on the quality and longevity, maybe.
3: Okay. I'm Swedish. The brand is Swedish. We don't <laughs> tend to shout from the rooftops about ourselves as much as we should. <laughs> um, certainly in the UK, we should do that more. But Bulan & Pyret or Pop, we've been into sustainability for a long time. We did organic um, baby wear in 1976 Wow! before most people didn't mm. even know it existed. Mm. And we have a mission, which is to have at least three children in every garment.
1: <laughs> Not simultaneously. <laughs> yeah, well, that's
3: right. So sustainability, quality and longevity is part of our DNA. And we measure uh, how many children wear I'm a particular like or, uh, garment and that's why we have a strong unisex heritage as an example because it really helps um, mm. passing down one clothes um, from brother to sister. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it has always been in our DNA and the team in Sweden have done a fantastic job. Uh, for example, this spring, spring, summer, 100% of our range will be sustainably produced mm. two years ahead of plan. Fantastic. But... People say, and I believe it, that 90% of the footprint of a garment is still in the manufacturing process. So if we should be true to our DNA, we actually need to reduce uh, production of new clothes. Mm-hmm. And the way we can do that is by leveraging the fact that our clothes are of such a high quality anyway, there is a secondhand uh, market for it and by the way, that's now what is it ten percent of sales is now secondhand is that Wow correct yeah. yeah and it's growing exponentially. so we believe that well we've got the I believe the most fantastic uh, quality to children's wear it's designed to last more than one two or three kids. Um, let's use second hand as an opportunity and a trend to perhaps increase that to four or five kids per garment. And by doing that, sell disproportionately less clothes, but somehow grow market share at the same time.
0: Can I just, when it comes to designing the clothes, if that's going to happen, you've mm. presumably got to design more classic stuff than on trend. I know it's weird talking about on trend for children, but it probably doesn't <laughs> exist, but you know what I mean? Yeah, You know, stuff that sort of, you know, of the moment. Mm. So I mean, I guess that's part of what your style because you talked about when you were wearing the thing when you were two years old with the classic. Mm. So you still have that I presume. So do you have to be careful about how you then design the range so that it it does have longevity in that sense?
3: Yeah, I mean, we don't have, um, we're not a High-end fashion brand, and
0: kids wear, look, you know, you need good quality jeans, um, a nice Yeah, but I used to wear some maroon cords when I was in back in the day, and so I don't think they, I don't see any youngsters wearing those these days. No, but I think it's coming back. But isn't
3: the definition, (laughs) the
1: definition of of being a child is that you still wear what your parents make you wear. Yes. So... My daughters are threatening to sue me for therapy costs <laughs> because we were just, they're twins. So I just put them in the same clothes, but different color to mm-hmm. so tell them apart. And apparently that's not the right thing to have done. And it's all my fault. So yeah. um, I knew they were no longer my children when, you know, you couldn't take them to Bowdoin and just buy everything in the sale and force them to wear it. It was no, we want to pick our own clothes. Mm-hmm. So if you've got those classics and you are building them to go to four or five children, What changes need to be made? So I'm imagining now that the name label on the inside has got five slots rather than one. Are there other things you look at as you go from one use to five uses?
3: I mean, you r- should really speak to our wonderful product team um, now, but I know the lengths they go to, mm-hmm. to even just selecting the right quality cotton mm-hmm. um, is, is a major exercise, because you want the longest fibers possible in cotton, because when you do that, it lasts for longer. You can wash it in 60 degrees if you want to or need to, and it doesn't shrink or twist, the colors don't fade. So the attention to detail the product team goes to is yeah. is just phenomenal. Do you do adult sizes? Uh, we do, we do, <laughs> we do have a small range. Um, Excellent, yeah, like, onesie for you somewhere.
1: We know those usual arguments about <laughs> Ian. You've turned everything pink again, or something. <laughs> yeah. um, now, before we uh, get to practicalities, we didn't ask you about how you got into this. So we just launched in at pop, and there yeah. you are. But were you someone? doting dad and thought, I need to now found a children's wear company to clothe my kids or were you something else and then?
3: So I um, I went to university in England, uh, met my uh, dear wife at university and um, I didn't want to go home. I wanted to stay in the UK and um, I spent 10 years with um, Accenture in um, the sales and marketing practice and then um, got two boys and Jasper and Hugo and when they were very young we went to Sweden and we walked past Polarna pirret and I said oh Joe this store is wonderful we should go in and have a look and she thought it was amazing and i just thought well there's a business opportunity here and um, i think swedish clothes or swedish yeah. products in general are typically very good quality and there are uh, Recognized as such in the UK. Mm-hmm. Honest, good quality, reasonable price, not cheap, but not expensive either. Value rather
1: than yeah, cheap. Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> so I contacted uh, Pull and Piotre in Sweden, and um, to cut a long story very short, we managed to convince them to uh, trust and trust us in uh, taking Pull and Piotre, which is such a wonderful and treasured brand, over to the UK.
0: Wow, was it the first time they trusted it to go outside of Sweden?
3: No, it was the third time. Oh, right. yeah, but done a similar uh, thing with Norway and Finland at the time.
1: Okay. But Norway and Finland are yeah. still sort of fellow Nordic.
3: And people knew of a brand in Finland, it's the fixed yeah. and, whereas here, yeah. I mean, we in the beginning we literally built up the business one customer at a time. Mm. Um,
1: with pronunciation lessons with uh, yeah <laughs> with
3: yeah with pronunciation uh, challenges big time yes yeah
1: cool so that's how you ended up in it let's mm-hmm. now try and turn on our consultancy brains to some business model and uh, problem things so children sick jam rips dirt that's just my lot so i've They've warded for a couple of years. I think, I now want to get rid of this. I remember, Kate, okay, I'm going to send it back now. So talk me through from the moment of saying, my fifth child has, you know, had this garment. I want to give it back to you. How does that process work?
2: Uh, so we have built a um, an app extension for the e-commerce website, in this case for POP's e-commerce website on the Shopify platform. And it's a white-labeled experience, so it lives within their website. It's fully housed there. Um, POP owns the way that they uh, talk about the program, the rules around the program, how they are valuing the product in terms of the credit that they're offering for uh, the trade-in itself. And there's some tooling in the background, obviously, mm. that they can use to help them with that. And it's all rules-based and um, and adjustable as well, because we do fully anticipate that these things are going to evolve over time as more learnings are gained around mm. what's kind of the optimal uh, program. That and so, just of, uh, sorry, yeah. i did No, not interrupt. No. I'm just
1: trying to work this through because so some people will say, if you buy a new thing, we'll dispose of your old thing, you know, conscientiously and correctly. So you get no money, you just have a clean conscience for the sake of a bit of postage, right up to, I will assess it, appraise it, sniff it, clean it, certify it, put it back on sale. So there's quite a spectrum of returning and vastly different business operations behind it. So do you cater to all of those or do you find you're more doing one type than the other?
2: So the way that we have set up the our core product and the way that it works, is to have a transparent value associated with every item. Now, you could have a, a zero value or a really low value um, in exchange for those goods, but we wanted to build something that would be attractive for um, customers to use themselves because a big part of participation is around one seeing the value in what you're doing, but also the convenience and the ease of use. And that is a, a massive driver for uh, adoption and trying something new and, and making the effort. So we wanted to build something that would give um, our retail partners a way to structure the program that had enough incentive there to really get their customers to engage with it, mm-hmm. um, but that wasn't onerous. And so as soon as you start to really ask a lot of questions about the product itself, you are asking for a judgment on you know what is the condition of it, um, mm-hmm. you're throwing up a barrier. A barrier that the, the customer has to think about, oh, I don't know, is it is it heavily used? Is it gently worn? Yes. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, and then what happens is they they don't take any action. They, they choose not to do it because it just feels like too much effort or they're not sure what they're going to get in exchange for it. So, we created the app experience itself in a way that that would all be really transparent, and really easy. Now you can put some levels of condition within uh, the program. You can specify like, look, if you're gonna send us back something that's um, that's broken, uh, that we won't accept that. And that again is within the gift of the retailer to be able to do that. And when the goods come back, they can adjust the amount of credit that was offered and have that exchange. But we saw that there was more value in creating a really simple, easy to use program on both sides. And that's really been our driver in the development of the product, is something that would automate as much of the experience for the retailer so that they have less that they have to do themselves in making the the service work. And something that would be simple enough and easy enough for customers to engage with, taking away a lot of their questions, a lot of the ambiguity mm-hmm. that exists within other marketplaces. Because resale isn't new this you know this market isn't new we've had other marketplaces and peer-to-peer marketplaces for a long time but the effort involved in participating in those marketplaces keeps a lot of people back holds a lot of people back from taking an active role
3: and limits supply Mm -hmm.
1: but a lot of these peer-to-peer marketplaces are quite specialized so um I'm showing my age by just thinking trainers had a brand on and that was it. Uh, But I've been educated about the 85 different ways that some Air Jordans may or may not be fake. And so when my kids are trading or selling the sneakers, then a listing now is here are the 84 points, check, 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 photo of this, certify this. And then you have to be an expert buyer and an expert seller. But for them, it's worth it because of the financial amount. Or if you're trading camera equipment at MBP, then, you know, it's expert to expert. Whereas in this case, they are more generic products that aren't massively high value. So that to touch is, you reckon, the way to go. Just take the barriers down and send it back.
2: I mean, taking the barriers down in any online experience is, mm-hmm. you know, a, what gets more people to play. So, I think that even with the opportunities for some higher-end products and and high-value products and niche markets, there's still a lot of people that just can't be bothered to do it. It's just too much effort. Mm -hmm. Um, And I hope Mats doesn't mind me sharing um, a a stat from the customer survey that we ran with his customer base. But, you know, what we saw was that whilst there was... You know, roughly a, a third of um, existing customers regularly shopping secondhand online, um, you know, less than a fifth were selling mm-hmm. because the effort involved in selling was so yeah. much harder. And what stops customers from shopping is that they can't find the thing that they want. They yeah. can't find it in the size or the color or the model or, you know, it, it's not easy to find the thing that you want. And most people, when they go shopping, have something in mind, you know. Some people are willing to make a bit of you know, sacrifice on or compromise on what that is because they want to buy the secondhand product or they want to buy the, the more you know choose the more sustainable option. But the majority want the thing that they want. And so being able to, to create an offer and a destination for that product where you know there is going to be more depth of choice mm. um, is a really exciting proposition that changes the game in resale.
0: Interesting. I think it's right, because I, I see there's people on my social media feeds that say they you know who you are, uh, are always advertising uh, children's clothes and all that sort of stuff. And I just think it's a very sort of too simplistic way of doing it. Is there anyone out there who might fancy this as opposed to putting it into a brand like yours, Pop, mm-hmm. whereby you've got people there who love that kind of thing and want to do it. So I guess the brand spin-off. I mean, it's obvious you get the benefit of, well, isn't this, aren't we doing a great thing for the world type thing? I mean, I guess that's pretty obvious, but there must be some other sort of real benefits that brands feel, see from doing this, not just financial, but sort of general glow about the brand. Is, is that right? I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying to think what they might be.
3: Yeah, I mean, for us, it's, um, we're still business people, right? Right. Um, this is where he
1: says, no, it is actually, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, my a million <laughs> dollars.
0: but
3: Look, we produce great quality clothes mm. with um, a lot of sustainability. And it's, it's, it's not the cheapest producing great quality clothes mm. so secondhand for us is is a great opportunity to appeal to a new market uh, with a new entry price point range if you like with our secondhand that. clothes but
1: that it's oh that's interesting mm. yeah so if i'm on your site and i'm going browsey browsey browse uh i want this top or little johnny will look good in these shorts do you make the customer start at secondhand? So go to the menu and say, have a secondhand journey, or do you mix new with secondhand based on a product item level? So I know I want a top, I'll show you new and secondhand. How do you present that to the customer?
3: Currently we have our new stock and there's a tab for secondhand, mm. um, which is really, really important. We value both choices equally. We don't try to steer customers to the new stock or the second-hand stock. That's very important to us. We haven't started to mix it. I think that would perhaps confuse it somewhat. Mm. But I think the key thing for us is that we're selling new and second-hand clothes on the same website.
1: So if you're, you know, we're all captives of our own browsing history. But if you're on, uh, say, certain electronic stores or, you know, like guitar amps and sound recording, then you're looking at something. Thinking, "Oh, I really want this lovely piece of German audio engineering." And underneath the price, it'll say, "We also have B stock, or we also have X display." And then you mm. click, and then you go and see mm. the same product, but with a thumbprint on it or something. So I think there's a developing language around a hierarchy of newness, freshness, you know, usedness, and so on. Um, but you said with classic understatement that you are indifferent to which path they choose. So does that mean you've managed to get a pricing point where you make an equivalent margin on both or were you just being, just saying nice words, but really you want them to buy the new?
3: No, it's, it's really important that if, if we're gonna stay true to this, um, we want to sell disproportionately less new clothes. Mm. So we believe, look, we're quite new. We've just started and we don't have one or two years of experience behind us. We're still resolving some challenges in the background because it's uh, much more successful than we thought it was going to be. But we believe it'll have parity with new new clothes. Mm,
1: That's very interesting. Now, you said you had a few problems. Let's Mm. talk about the operational side. It's all sounding just too smooth and easy so far. Both of you are looking happy. It's been <laughs> a success. I mean, come on. What what was what was what was the hardest thing to overcome? So if I let's say Jamie and I run out now and we ring up the Salesforce tech team and say, let's copy it. Mm. What's the hard <laughs> thing that no one thinks is hard? Until it hits you. They're not going to tell us now, are
0: they? No, they will. <laughs> okay, all right. And, and let's just be clear
2: we will one day have a turn trade in app ready for Salesforce. Lovely. So there just, you go. Yeah. you,
0: you just heard for it the here. record here. Thank yeah.
1: you. Yeah. But, I mean, <laughs> with, with all of these, the technology is a small part. Yeah. You know, what you're really doing is a massive operational uh, and integration part. So I'm thinking if I'm a customer, then I might have ordered something, I might have a return label for new. I might be sending you back secondhand. Are they different packages? Does it merge in and out? Different customers? So anyway, instead of me making it up, uh, what, what was the hard stuff
2: to overcome? Well, starting from the very beginning, we knew we needed a partner uh, that would work with Bob. They'd already actually started a very um, kind of small-scale version of the program itself uh, before they were working with us. And so really partnering with us was around how they could scale the program, extend it out to the full Range and make everything um, eligible for trade-in, mm. and they weren't exactly sure how they were going to do that. And so they have a long-standing relationship with Clipper. Um, Clipper has been their e-commerce fulfillment partner for ten years, ten years now. Yeah.
3: Mm. Not called GXO, by the way.
2: Oh, sorry, yeah. yeah GXO. <laughs> uh, and so the team at uh, at GXO, we went to them uh, together jointly um, to present what it was that we were trying to do and what we want to do and they were already running some refurbishment uh for pop and doing a bit of gentle repairs and pop has a re- free repairs program on the on the product already of course they do um so you can replace your zippers and replace your poppers mm-hmm. and all that kind of good stuff and um And so they were already managing that. They had an ozone uh, cleaning chamber on site. Um, I know everybody loves an ozone cleaning chamber. Unless you're Um, locked in. (laughs) (laughs) And so we kind of shared with them what it was that we wanted to do. And they were incredibly receptive to it. Um, I mean, the team are uh, so agile and really such good partners. Mm. And they they stepped up to the challenge uh, to work through the process of what would actually need to happen. And our app lives within the Shopify platform. But... We knew that they would need a receiving app to be able to receive those goods. So, when the customer goes through that trade-in process, they register their product or they select the product they want to trade in from their order history. They can see exactly the value that they're going to get. They confirm, you know, those are the the details of the trade-in that they have and that they want. We have a integrated uh, shipping label that comes with that, so um, they can use any packaging that they already have at home. So they're not waiting for a bag to pack up their goods in. They are encouraged to use whatever you've already got um, to pack those things up. That makes it a lot faster, too. They print that label out, pop it on the bag, and then the bag goes back to the DC. And GXO receives the bag and is able to receive the goods. Lovely.
1: Yeah. So I I love that um, building off existing capabilities, that linking is really impressive.
2: Well, and the the really exciting thing here as well is that because Pop is selling new alongside second-hand, the e-commerce fulfillment is also one package as well. Mm. So, And customers are shopping both at the same time. There aren't second-hand only and new only. There are some baskets that look like that, but there are a lot of mixed baskets as well. Fantastic.
3: Where can you do that? Yeah, I, I don't know of anyone else where you go online buy new and second hand and you get it in the, in same, the same parcel basket, yeah. are we the first i don't know i mean i'd love to know if anyone else does it should we ask our listeners i
0: think our yeah. listener Listener, so, sorry did i pluralized yes sorry apologies.
3: You're, you're getting
1: above <laughs> above our own station here so yes. um you know do do let us know do you listen, if love, you know of yeah. any again i think you know it depends on what you know what you spend your time shopping on mm-hmm. but I'd, I'd love to i don't know i don't know of any clothing definitely like that
0: but what i like about it as well gxo we must know them as they've also seized the opportunity and i wonder as you go through this whether you know how other partners are going to come into and what ecosystem is going to grow around all of this i yeah. suspect is there's going to be more and more people who are going to be want to be part of this to make it better and more easy and bring down those barriers like you were saying yeah. are there any that you can see i mean don't no, name no names but any any sort of
2: other any new areas are, where areas, areas exactly. partnership, Yeah, yeah. So, th- so there definitely are and i think again. Uh, Zoe and I have now been in this space for a couple of years, and a couple of years ago, they they really weren't there. So, kind of pre-COVID, we we had scoured and looked, kind of what can you do with this product when you come back? What can you do with the product, either from a uh, refurbishment and mm-hmm. um, and resale perspective, or uh, from a recycling perspective? Mm-hmm. What are the options? And there were some donation routes, um, but there were pretty limited uh, um, you know outlets were where you would take that product and what you could do with it. And that is changing rapidly, which is really, really exciting. Um, there is a lot more being invested in repair and restore and refurbishment and material recycling and um, you know spares and repairs. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've talked to uh, plastic recyclers and we've talked to... You know, uh, technology refurbishment um, partners that will you know, either break things down into their component parts or repair them for resale. And that could be small household appliances to um, kind of true tech as well. There's just a, a, a much greater, stronger ecosystem out there today than there was. And yeah. it's growing day by day.
1: And what's enabled that? Um, because as I listen to this, I'm hearing if you have the recipe, it is you need the flavours of goodwill and company values. You need product quality, a little bit of marketing, tech and operations at the front end. And then this massive wodge of everything in retail that everybody does everywhere to work together. So it, it's as if the, the the bulk of it is sort of retooling retail to be not just, you know, a trebuchet of stuff being catapulted out to customers but this you know back and forth you know lifelong activity and that's a major undertaking.
2: Well, I th- I think that's exactly it. So we're moving from a linear economy where it's all about you make it and you send it out there in the world and it gets used and you never see the back of it again mm-hmm. and all of our infrastructure historically has been built around that model. Um, it hasn't been built to be circular but actually taking that step forward when you realize that you can uh, evolve what's already in place. So we're not trying to create from scratch. We are taking the component parts that already exist today, making some adjustments to those things. And again, as we said, that doesn't mean it's easy. There are definitely, you know, hurdles to, to climb. Or mountains to climb or hurdles to jump, something like that. Uh, that'll do. Yeah. yeah. Um, hurdles but... on the mountains. <laughs> oh, that's something. <laughs> um, but, you know, there it, it's doable. It's absolutely within the realm of possibility. And then when you start to see the value that it can create mm. and the value it can capture and how much wastage there is in the existing model, and then you combine that with what's happening in the economy right now, the demand for resale and um, more sustainable products mm. in the marketplace overall. The legislation that's coming through as well mm. uh, with extended <laughs> producer rights. And I was just
1: thinking, nobody really talks about legislation. Everybody's looking, you know, quite hangdog, <laughs> but everyone's eyes lit up. So, yeah. legislation's going to drive progress. Uh, that's good. <laughs> it has to. But, mm, we we know, need agreed. it. So, lovely positivity. And uh, what's odd is that we're dealing on the one hand with all of the everything's of the retail value chain but yet that's on on your side this is one element within your overall brand story engagement so wh- where do you see this going you've got second hand now that's going to find its balance in your mix um wh- what's the brand looking at for the coming years now that you're part of the mothership and looking to move this on what, what what's next for you
3: Well, perhaps we should become a little bit less Swedish in the UK and and communicate more strongly um, what we stand for (laughs) as a brand and what we've achieved because...
1: You're still Swedish because you started the sentence with perhaps. (laughs) Yeah, perhaps.
3: Because (laughs) I'm so proud of um, what we've achieved and what we are building now. And I'd love for more people to be aware of it because I think we all have a responsibility now as consumers and we should be made aware of what is out there and what is available mm. and what is good well
1: jamie and i will be checking out the striped adult romper big. <laughs> <That's laughs> later and our listener will be uh checking it out uh, so great good luck with that and kate what's next for you now that you've started on this enormous journey. What uh, were the next steps for you?
2: Well, we have a couple more retailers joining us in the mm. next couple of months. Not, uh, not as lovely as Pop, though. Yeah. Well, so it's, a, it's, it's a high bar, um, <laughs> that's for sure. A and, high hurdle on the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I mean, Pop have been the most fantastic partner. So we have really, um, you know, we've really benefited from their willingness to experiment and trial and test and, and just the, you know, the whole approach, but we do have uh, a few more retailers coming on board with us shortly, which is really exciting, and outside of the UK as well. Um, so we've got some global expansion, uh, moving into America. Uh, oh, and, you know Great uh, America! Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Always big in America. Yeah, that's um, it. <laughs> and uh, and so you know, I think those are those are the kind of you know the immediate next steps and then we've got lots of development plans and things that we want to do uh, with the experience itself and obviously uh, further down the road you know extending onto additional platforms and making ourselves as accessible and available to as many retailers as possible because we want everybody to do this.
0: Ian, I think this. Just make a note for our diaries to come back to this subject because I think this is a developing area, and I think we want to hear those two brands because they've tempted us now and told yeah. us it's America, so we want to know that. But also, I guess there's going to be a question around data and what you do with that, and and how that all plays into it, and what the racial
1: side, the partnership, all ecosystem. That. Yeah. Now, if we had diaries, I would make a note. So. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think I think we'll uh, we'll definitely come back to it. Yeah. But for now, just a really big thank you. So it's uh, the positivity in the room is just remarkable. You can taste it. Yes. And it's been lovely hearing the brand story and direction, as well as, Kate, all these threads you pull together and, uh, you know, talk about something being right for the times and the future. Mm-hmm. You're spot on there. What I'll do is, uh, in case our listener is driving or operating heavy machinery right now. Mm-hmm. In the programme notes, I'll put a link to the website and to some of the information we've covered. And I know, Kate, you've just done a, an interview with Emma, Emma Herod, our executive editor, which is coming out in the new sustainability report. So loads of things pointing that way. And um, Mads, if you're not already a case study, we'll have to get you in there yeah. uh, as well. So um, that's great. Well, look, I think that's it then. We've 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 scratched the surface, and we've got a date in the diary for a follow. Thank you both very much. Thank Brad. you. Kate, thanks for, having us. thanks yeah. for going.
0: Wow, oh, that's really good. Can I? Just I'm inspired. I, well, I am inspired. But I also want to know what the hell a trebuchet means. What the hell does that mean? Is yes, that a, a Roman thing? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what it
2: was? Do we keep these on? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> you know, like you're looking um, great before. You're still looking good now. Don't worry. <laughs> it's one of these. <laughs> oh is so it yeah. when you've got a, the cow, yeah, a, <laughs> a cow? Yeah, a
1: cow that's rotten. You'd throw the cow into someone's console so that they all got diseased. Was that your reference? I didn't think it was, but there Well you, go. you can, we trebuchet can trebuchet other th- things <laughs> as well. Can
0: trebuchet. A, <laughs> trebuchet goodness into it, but yeah.
1: We wouldn't trebuchet a parcel. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think it lacks the postcode level accuracy.